0: Hello and welcome to On Landscape. I'm here sitting opposite Alistair Ben uh, in a very wet Scotland. Um, and I recently met Alistair on a trip over to Scandinavia, whereas I, I was in Norway, uh, you were somewhere nearby in Lapland, and um, it was rather fabulous, wasn't it?
1: It was. It was. And Christine and I had gone up there for a week to uh, scout out the area for a potential future workshop. Um, and we had stunning weather, uh, beautiful fall colour and bumping into you and Charlotte and Trim and Oliver was just incredible. It was just such a serendipitous event. Uh, and really, it was just excellent just to be there with you guys in such amazing conditions. It was It was a real joy. It was a real highlight of the trip for me.
0: I know Trim was saying that it's possibly the best conditions he's seen in that area for the last 30 years. And he's, he knows the area quite intimately, I think. Yeah, it
1: was curious, because Anne-Christine's got some good friends who'd been up there quite a few times, and the feeling was that we were going to be late for the, for the fall colour. And I certainly noticed that near the end of the week it was starting to tail off, and and the the the, the leaves were disappearing, and things were t- seeming to lose a bit of their their luster. Yes. Um, but certainly, yeah, it was incredible. And I saw all of our posting some shots uh, now, and the the rivers freezing and. There's snow on the ground and it's... it's you dropped something. over to
0: two metres of snow from, yeah. from what, about 13 degrees we were at at one point? That's right. Yeah. I
1: mean, we were in shorts and t-shirts, just about... Well, not quite shorts, but you know, yeah. certainly it was warm. And while
0: that was going on, um, me and Charlotte were climbing over we in Lofoten, yeah. so it's, it's quite special. Uh, and also, you're moving to another area of Scotland.
1: We are. We have bought a house uh, on the west coast in an area that I don't know very well, actually. Um, and part of the reason for that was that it was off the beaten track, uh, having lived on Sky for the last five years and seen how busy things are there. Sky is getting quite popular, isn't it? It's it's, it's Iceland 2.0, uh, I think, at the moment, where there's not a huge amount of foresight being implied uh, and... People are making good money out of the, the tourism and a lot of local residents are being inconvenienced by it. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, that doesn't create a very wholesome situation. Um, whilst we are on air, no, I'm not going to go down that route. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. Hmm. Um, <laughs> well, you can tell me, why, why do you think Sky
0: got that bad? What is it about Sky that's different from other parts of Scotland?
1: A lot of movies are made there. Um, you know, the, so many movies now feature the sky landscape, Sligachan, the Trottonish Ridge. Um, social media has made some of these places extremely popular, like the fairy pools. The store uh, is massively popular now. Um, there's probably about five locations. Neist Point uh, is, is beyond a joke now with the transport situation.
0: It's not exactly accessible, is it, Neist,
1: than well, it's scrolling. not accessible at all if two RVs have met on the single track road. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've got a main coon coming to sit on me, which is a, a feature of the parking household. That is.
0: That's uh, <laughs> that's probably the pesky cat. Right, you, you settle have. down. Yeah. Um, don't eat the microphone.
1: Yeah, don't eat the microphone. Um, we are going to get purring interference. How can live with that? Um, I, th- I think there's, there's a very high concentration of icons. I mean, Sky's yeah. always been a popular place. Uh, it was popular when I was a kid, but things have magnified massively. Um, the last three or four years in particular, it's just got super, super busy. And there's just no facilities, unfortunately. But, yeah, it's just a very high... I mean, it's a beautiful place. It's as simple as that. Is it,
0: is it Instagram has made a big difference, do you think, with it?
1: Well, I think social media just in Social general, media in general, yeah. It, there's, things just get around faster.
0: The bucket lists and such like. Uh...
1: I, I can't speak for other people's motives for going to a place. Um, I was having this conversation, I was running a workshop on Sky uh, last week and it's the first time I've spent a whole week shooting on Sky for quite some time. Um, and it was just curious to watch iPhone-wielding tourists um, experiencing the place. And, you know, I think it's all about context, you know, you you don't know where these people live and the, the jobs they have and the lives they have. And obviously only 9,000 people live on the island and it takes a certain type of person to live on the West Coast. It's isolated. The weather can be questionable. The midges can be challenging. Um, the services are low uh, relative to, to city living. Um, but for a visit, it, it must be quite... Yeah. overwhelming uh, in some cases. I mean, it is a lot of verticality and... Well, it,
0: it made me think we were we were somewhere east of um, Lofoten itself, and as we were driving around, I just realised what it must be like to be a tourist mm. um, driving around Scotland, because I'm probably having that reaction to the amazement of Lofoten in the same way they're having that reaction to the amazement of the Three Sisters in Glencoe or yes. driving past the Kulin.
1: I, I, I think that was one of the reasons that I chose to live in or buy this house in an area that's not so iconic, um, is because it would be a real shame if those places became normal. Yes. Um, yeah. I always said that about Harrison Lewis, that it's a lovely place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there yeah. just because it would become normal. Yeah. Uh, if you, if you live next to Luskantire Beach, and it, you wake up and it's like, ah, well, it's it's only amazing today. It's not incredible. Uh, you know, you'd start to sort of quantify yeah. it. And,
0: I got a flavour of that just in photon in for the space of uh, two weeks. Two weeks is the most amazing fall color you've ever seen in your life. And by the end of two weeks, we were just driving past again. Yeah, just yeah nice yellow trees. yeah
1: And that's a curious thing. I mean, that's a very human thing, I think, mm. that we we were adaptable. And... but. That can be a negative and a positive. That you can adapt to negative situations in terms of hardship and yes. like climbing mountains can be hard and and uh, not very pleasant all of the time. But you kind of get on with it. Um, and <laughs> I'm getting mean cooned again. <laughs> uh, there should be a video of this going on. Um, but equally, yes, we do totally get desensitised to the to, to the more spectacular landscapes as well.
0: I've got another main coon over here trying to sit on my microphone. I'm yes, gonna I'm, take, just, I'm, I'm just... I'm going to take a picture for, um, for the record. Oh, I've got your phone there, haven't I? That's to... my phone, I think. I'm going to yeah. take a picture on it anyway. There we go. That's what we're dealing with. <laughs> um, sorry, I interrupted you there. Well, yes. I, so so when you when you move into... To this new area, what, what is it you're looking forward to? I mean, this uh, it's, it's finding a new area is always interesting, exploring and seeing what's there.
1: Well, from a personal point of view, it's it's going to be the culmination of a very uh, changeable year, um, uh, in terms of personally, professionally, and geographically. So there's there's going to be a, an opportunity to start breathing and just generally relax, and for Anne, Christine, and I to to just be in a place that's ours and uh and home you know just the 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 domesticity of painting and yeah furnishing a new house and all that type of stuff so there's that but from a from a from another from an outdoors point of view yeah exploring a new area is always an exciting thing for me um We've got some great oak forests round about us. Now, obviously, in the middle of winter, there there are not going to be any leaves on them, but uh, structurally, they're super exciting. We're surrounded by big mountains. We've got the ocean on our doorstep. Um, Driving over there yesterday to to go and meet the owner, uh, it was just incredible. Just cascades pouring down off uh, rocky hillsides. There's loads of great rock climbing, which you and I are going to be... We'll get try
0: a few, I think. Get, yeah,
1: we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll go out and have a look. A no a expectations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, to, to, to be close to you guys is going to just be incredible. I was saying to Charlotte today, I mean, I, I can't think of two people I'd rather live near. you Thank know, you it's It's really... Can't wait to that. But I, I am a person that really tries to limit expectation. Uh, I think expectation in any form can, they can be a dangerous thing to get into. Um, so, um, whilst I can pre-visualize to a certain extent some of the domestic bliss that may be apparent over the Christmas and New Year period, uh, in terms of from a photographic point of view, um, I don't have much in the way of expectation. Well, I just know it's going to be exciting. To
0: well, to we, we were discussing this. Yeah. Yesterday, the idea of why, what triggers people to take pictures. Um, and I think we've, we were talking then that people, expectation can be a curse in the way that, uh, it, it came up because I asked about some people having problems when they go to an area and they start taking pictures. They have problem settling into an area. Right. Um, and you mentioned that you don't. Um, no, I don't. Um, and my best day on, on our recent holiday was the first day. Um and I think that, that could be something to do with expectation. We have models in our minds of what makes a good picture and we try and recognise that model in the landscape, even if we're doing it subconsciously. Um, and, and there, there's, re-
1: there, there, there's at least three different points in, in that yeah. statement. Um, deciding which one to tackle. Uh, I, I think you're right in that I don't particularly struggle uh, when I go into the field. Um, and that's partly because very rarely am I there with the concept of making photographs, uh, even if I have my camera bag with me. Um, I'm, I think when I'm running workshops, it's slightly different because you've got participants with you, you're going into the field. If you go somewhere that you haven't been before, so if, if, you're, if you're all exploring a new area, um, the pressure's on because you know, you've you got to find something quick. To, to kind of demonstrate the possibilities of that place. Um, you know, you're supposed to be able to do this quickly and, and effortlessly. Um, now, that's very, very different from being on my own. Um, I But yeah, I, I, I don't tend to struggle when I go to new areas. I, I don't tend to look at photographs of that area before I go, um, other than just the the merest idea of what it's like you know so okay fall color crazy rocks right that sounds great you know sign me up um if i think the more you look at images from a certain area the more likely you are to have expectations of that and when you first go somewhere you're trying to find these isolated bits in all the chaos and and that can be frustrating and uh, a pressured situation, you know, because you know it's out there, but you can't see it. Yeah. So that that can be problematic, and you get these aha moments when you say, "Oh, right, that's that little bit of the river there. I've seen a shot of that. That's photogenic. I'll go and look there." Yeah. Uh, so I, I think photography can be an incredibly joyful and meaningful experience for us, but it, we we tend to make it not. Uh, or Or quite often we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, and I think expectation is is clearly a very, very big pressure point um, among with a bunch of others but um so yeah, not having too much trouble out in the field, but then you were talking about uh what was the second part
0: um, i was I was moving on to talking about the expectations of uh, Recognising pictures. Ah, yes, that was it. And the, and the idea that you've, you've, through, through material that you've seen in the past, um, books or a- advertising or any, any visual medium, you have an idea of what a photograph looks like. And subconsciously you're going out trying to recognise a photograph in the landscape.
1: I think if you go out with the intention of making photographs, then you are in essence looking for a photograph and I agree with you that that we have somehow formulated the definition of what that means Um, I think we tend to gravitate towards things that we like so the the judgmental part of our brain basically says right I like that and if we go back to all our musical analogies um, you know if you like Iron Maiden there's a possibility you might like Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin or Rush or whoever, you know, and you get genres of, of oral aesthetic preference. Yeah. Um, and I think landscape photography is the same. You know, if you've got three or four photographers who work you really admire Hans Strand is a, is a classic example. Uh, I, I say that because you've got a print of his hanging on your wall, yeah. which is just magnificent. Um, If you like Hans's work, then the triggers in the landscape may be affected or are almost certainly affected in some way by that uh, aesthetic preference. Uh, If you like Michael Kenna's work and you go to somewhere like that, you're going to be in real trouble because it's such a different genre, different geometric um, aesthetic to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not conducive to a three-hour-long exposure. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I think the things that we like do trigger um, recognition in the landscape. Uh, I'm very keen on us building up our sort of subconscious, innate aesthetic preferences. Yeah. Um, well, and- we were talking
0: about this in terms of... I, I asked I think I asked you about. Um, is it better to just look at no... Source material, or to look at lots of source material. So, in other words, having a big library of books, or regularly looking at pictures, or being a, uh, uh, a hermit and hiding from visual material in case you get polluted by these ideas.
1: I think in 2019, it's almost impossible to live in a vacuum. Yeah, uh, I think photography is so ubiquitous. It's so common. It's it's so everywhere. Uh, You open Facebook, you open Insta, you open a magazine, you open any web page and and it's just surrounded by photography. Um, So I, I think it's almost impossible to switch yourself off unless you just completely remove yourself from the internet. My journey and development as a landscape photographer is kind of into its... Well into its second decade, it'll be twenty years fairly soon. Another couple of years, and it'll be twenty years since I got back into photography in a digital way, Um, and I've I've gone through such a development from really being heavily influenced by other people um, to almost entirely not being influenced by anybody, and. I think if you're a professional photographer and you make all of your living from being a professional photographer, copying somebody else in any way is a very dangerous path to walk down. It's, you know, if if I just go out into well-known areas and replicate compositions I've seen by half a dozen other photographers and process them slightly differently okay, you might stand out as a good processor, I suppose, but I, I, I don't believe that that's the same connectivity with the landscape. You know, I mentioned earlier on, for me, being in the landscape is, is a thing in its own right. Um, I used to go into the landscape thinking about making great photographs. I used to literally be driving in my car or riding on my bicycle Thinking, oh, I'm going to make some great shots today. I'm really fired up. I'm really motivated. to. I'm, I'm, today's the day. It's going to be amazing. Uh, you know, and that expectation, that pressure, not just on myself, but on the landscape to deliver. You know, it's got oh, a brilliant sunrise this morning. Yeah. The TPE told me it's, it's a code red. You know, it's, it's going to be insane. Um, you know, and you get there and there's one pink cloud in the wrong quarter of the sky and it's what a load of rubbish this is you know yeah and you go home disappointed having having had a time in the landscape that should have been magical and enjoyable and relaxing and refreshing and energizing and and good for your health and um, de-stressing and all of these positive attributes and you come back complaining because the clouds were in the wrong direction or they weren't pink enough or um the sun didn't quite come up, or there was a band of cloud came across as the sun was supposed to come up behind that pine tree to give you the starburst. Yeah. Whatever this expectation is, and measuring your time in the landscape by the images you produce just seems like a really, really unfair thing to do. Um, so, I've I've trained myself over the last couple of decades that being in the landscape is a thing in its own right, whether I make any photographs or not, and. Being responsive and allowing the conditions that are there at the time to uh, symbiotically uh, create a resonance, you know, my perspective that I'm taking into the landscape, the person who I am as I get out of the car and walk into into the woods, the person I'm taking to the landscape isn't constant. You know, you yep. might, you might no, wake absolutely. up and yeah. I, I think we all, we all exist in a spectrum of possibility in terms of the person that we're bringing to the table on a daily basis. Um, and it's affected by our energy levels and our health and our motivations and our relationships and the news and the state of the planet and all of these environmental issues that, that can affect how we feel. So the person who's walking into the woods isn't constant the conditions in the forest aren't constant. So basically you've got two infinite galaxies coalescing at these moments of spontaneous opportunity. And if you go in with a template, you're basically shutting down 95% of infinity, yeah, or 99.99% of infinity. And it's that massive amount of serendipitous potential that makes my relationship with the landscape such a dynamic and exciting thing camera in hand or not you know there's the old cliche if you want to see something new in nature walk the path you walked yesterday you know and it's cheesy and cliched if you go back to the
0: same locations you see that
1: exactly and or if you sit in one place for an hour now i'm not the most patient person um i force myself to sit in one location for some time, especially if I'm meditating and stuff. I mean, it's easier now that I that I meditate to kind of sit by a river or sit in a forest and just chill out for an hour or whatever. But I, I'm more of an inquisitive, rooting around under boulders and behind trees and up rock faces and, and things like that. So I, I do like to be on the move. I mean, it... it I shudder when I see people posting on social media saying, "Oh, you know, it was worth the six-hour wait." You know, when when the light just spotlighted on a a, a colourful tree, it's just like really <laughs> <You
0: know>? sitting <laughs> well, still for six hours. Mm. You know,
1: it, it's it, that's a different style of photography. People, some it, yeah. some people are prepared to do yeah. that. Uh, I know a number of photographers who that's their methodology, especially. You know, I mean, back in your field of large format photography. Yeah, where...
0: I mean, I, I'll, I will hang around for an hour. I've done that before. Um, however, I've done that before by leaving the camera set up and gone off on another camera. Yeah, and had a wonder. Right. Uh, and then just had in the corner of my eye, waiting right. for something to change.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. That that makes more sense. That um, makes more sense.
0: In t- in terms of this idea of source material and expectation. Right. I have a I have a sort of another musical analogy of um, creativity looking at somebody like The Beatles, let's say, who um, they wouldn't have been the, the original band they were if they hadn't done thousands of cover versions um, during their early formative years. And if you analyse some of their original songs, they have huge component influences from lots of stuff that they've done before or, or heard before. And do you think that's true of photography is, is it's a naive person who thinks they can have no influence from anywhere else and create something that's great and original?
1: Mm. Um, well, I think it's always fascinating to me that the, the, the huge volume of music that exists with 12 notes, you know, for, for, for such a small palette, yeah. uh, it, it's pretty massive. Um, Now, the second part, I think it's really a case of deciding what it means to be original, um, and what our work means to us, first and foremost, because what it means to other people is completely out of our control. And... I've given up thinking about the impact that it might have on another person because, you know, they're such spontaneous moments of creation anyway. So I think if we, I mean, I, I have seen a lot of photographs. I mean, um, you know, I, I I wouldn't hazard to guess what number, but I mean, it must be in well over a million or more yeah. images by now, I would, I would imagine. Um and how much of those are subconsciously imprinted into me versus consciously imprinted, versus how much of them are actually influencing me at any particular time? I three years ago in January I went to the Gobi for the first time, and I'd seen a lot of desert images from like Death Valley and Namibia and things like that, but I'd never seen much from from the Gobi, and. What I found when I woke up in my tent the first morning and looked out at the landscape was I was looking out at something that didn't have a subject in it. There was, there was only lines and layers and textures and colour variances, but there wasn't a clear subject unless you found a bush or you know, an old stick or something like that, which was super contrived. It just felt subject. Yeah? Yeah. So I, I just started sketching And what I was sketching was fingerprints of landscapes, which is basically a geometric and tonal uh, relationship, uh, juxtapositions, tensions and release. And by not having a clear subject in it, it became more of an aesthetic, just an aesthetic in its own right. But each aesthetic had an emotional reaction in my mind. But I tried to do it without thinking. So I I didn't want to start arranging these things. And the only technical things I need to think about sometimes are occasionally focus stacking layers if there was a lot of compression with a 400 or a 500mm lens. Um, So by taking subjects out out of the system, what I tended to develop was a very organic and feely relationship with the landscape. And it had much less to do with style or genre or presentation. It was just, there's something that really intrigues me, that confluence of lines, that convergence of lines, those two curves, the way they interact with each other, the way that straight line interacts with a curve. Those relationships were just frivolous, amusing, sinister uh, it was a very emotional thing. And I, all I ever used was emotional language to try and describe these things. And what I found subsequently going to places like Iceland or the States or northern Spain was that the same thing applies in any landscape. It doesn't matter if you're in a forest or by the ocean or in the mountains or by a lake. Or It's immaterial. That these geometric fingerprints that exist within the four walls of our frames have they have a life to them and they have an emotional resonance to them that i think transcends subject and i think it transcends style and i think it transcends influence to a certain extent so while i don't try to make out that i live in a vacuum i think by getting rid of judgment and expectation from my emotional vocabulary. Mm. It's allowed me to build up a relationship where I point my, my camera at things that just somehow stimulate me, emotionally, uh, physically, or uh, creatively. Um, and so that I think there's a detachment from this word photography that's starting to exist. So I can look at other people's photographs Sometimes with great... I'm, I'm far more likely to study a book. Uh, Anne Christine has an incredible book collection, well in excess of a 100 photo books, um, some of the greatest photo books ever produced. Yeah. Um, and we'll quite happily sit there in an evening and just you know, look at a, a handful of photographs, not a handful of books, a handful of photographs from within a book. Yeah. And we don't particularly discuss them, it's just allowing them to wash over you. Now how much of that influences me I don't really know because I look on that printed medium as somebody else's statement, somebody else's intent, emotional reaction to content, whatever it may be. It's something that somebody else is saying Um, and my interpretation of that can be very different from their intention. Yeah. Um, the, you know, there's, there's no, nowhere does it say the, the, the piece of art and the reception of that piece of art have to be the same. No.
0: I mean, individually, I interpret, interpret my own photographs differently when I look at them a month later. Absolutely. So never mind other people.
1: Yeah, because it's exactly the same as when we go into the forest, the person we're taking to that location is different from the person that made that photograph and the person that looks at it a month or a year from now. So uh, I'm very into that whole concept of the transience of our perspective of things. Um, So I I don't think I end up making photographs that are either subconsciously or really consciously influenced too much by other people's work.
0: Influence might be the wrong word. I think it's this... uh there's maybe a tiny there's bits of visual grammar that you might recognise and reuse. Re- well, just in in, j- j-
1: just in the same way that there's twelve notes in a yeah. in 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 the musical. And if, world. Anybody,
0: if anybody's interested in that, they should Google four chord songs. Yeah. In, on YouTube, absolutely. Uh, there's some great little sketches. Of, yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. And and you know, uh, once every couple of years, someone will try and sue Ed Sheeran for or Taylor Swift or whatever for for ripping off yeah a couple of chords or you know and really it's
0: so it's, it's it's is it a little bit more like free improv that you're playing with when you're sketching
1: that's a really curious question um i don't think about it at all yeah i i have no conscious awareness
0: That raises another point, actually, in in terms of what people think about when they're taking photographs, because we often, and we've done it in on Landscape, is discussed photography and how to work and bits of composition. Uh, And I've spoken with a few people who who presume that that means photographers have this internal voice that's going all the time in the head, saying, well, that line there must move this to this location, the colour and the red and the green or the red and the 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 blue are contrasting, um, and yet when you talk to photographers, they'll say actually I don't think about anything. Most of it's intuitive. Maybe the odd moment when I'm thinking about an edge or a corner. But and, and is that the same for you? I presume then.
1: Yes, I I think when I'm looking through the viewfinder, um, I notice the I I I don't go and look for shots. I point my camera at things that. I notice, so the I think I don't compose in the field, I just recognize things in the field that are compositions, if that makes sense. Um, and I think my best work is definitely uh, it, uh, that word recognition, I think is really key it, It's almost as if there's almost an element of déjà vu to it in a, in yep. a sort of where you or you walk into a party and you see someone you haven't seen for 30 years and, and it's like ah yeah you type of thing and and the, there's a kind of there's a beautiful sense of enjoyment when those things happen you know you're just walking along a, a, beside a river and you look down and just this perfect little flow of this little playful joyful frivolous flow of water over a smooth yellow boulder and it's just, it strikes you right in your heart. You just think, that's just beautiful. So you point your camera at it and then it's just a, a technical exercise of working at what shutter speed is the most yeah. aesthetically pleasing um, rather than just sticking a, a filter on it. And,
0: Does this mean you're not thinking about edges and corners when you're composing shot? Ah, no, I was getting
1: to that bit. Ah, okay, yes. I was getting to that bit. So what I'll tend to do is I'll, I'll put the, I, I get a vague idea of what the, the focal length is roughly just by looking at it. Um so it's like all oh, right, that's gonna be thirty five mm get the twenty four seventy on the camera frame it up now I do a lot of shooting in uh pre cropped aspect ratios, either squares or four by fives or sixteen by nine actually, I found a way in the eight fifty to do that and so i'll I'll kind of get a feel for for the whether I'm going to shoot a square or four by five or a sixteen by nine um frame it up. And then I'll use the zoom to, to kind of just, okay, there's a, there's a pale rock coming in from the top left, so I'll zoom in a little bit to get rid of that. Uh, if that compromises the, the rest of the frame in terms of the, the distribution of interest or aesthetic, uh, if that massively impacts that, I'll leave it in and I'll deal with that later in post. Um, I won't ruin a good composition by having to go in too tight that things start getting compressed. Yeah. Uh, so that th- that's. But it's a very feely relationship. I was gonna say
0: that it's an intuitive sense of where it's, where edges form and the tension that they create and things like that.
1: I think the the the, the best thing I ever concluded about edges was anything that can be considered a door. Isn't yeah. It, it should, could probably be conceived as a negative thing. Yeah. Now, we'll touch on that again, because you and I had a discussion last night about this, and I think that might be quite a useful thing to talk about also, which is a, a door can often be considered a negative because the idea is to, to contain people within Closed the frame. compositions, yeah. Now, I think a small bright thing on the edge of a frame would typically be considered a negative. Um, so if they can't be composed out, then occasionally cloning these things out I don't tend to do monster cloning, um, but little like or, or a, contrast, or whatever. Yeah. In, in Scotland, we get a lot of these like white lichens on black rocks, mm. you know. And if there's one of those big white lichens on a black rock, it can look pretty awful. So I, I tend to sort of clone those out. Those out. But the thing we were talking about last night is nowhere does it say that photographs need to be all about positive aesthetics. Uh, they don't have to be nice and pleasing and joyful and calming and restful. They can be challenging and dissonant and, um, you know, asking questions of viewers. That photograph that I'm looking at just now of Hans, you wouldn't call that a calm photograph. But it's extraordinarily challenging. And some of the compositional decisions are clearly set to challenge. Yeah. Yeah,
0: And Hans is very good at that, Hans is very good at working corners and edges and creating tensions and things.
1: Right, and we talked about that last night with this analogy again with music, it's about tension and release and building up tension and allowing it to dissipate. And that's really what the various elements of, of visual design are all about, is places where you can be a little bit more restful and a little bit more engaged and energised. And I think it's the, the classic word is transitions.
0: Um, I wanted to ask you about because you work with sketching and in, in around an area. How do you feel about the the difference between people working with single shot, um, the the single artwork versus uh, the idea of connecting multiple photographs together in, into a theme or a, a project? Is that something you think about when you're? Maybe I don't like think
1: you? about it particularly when I'm out. Yeah. Um, I, up to this point, my professional photography career has been workshop-based. It's been education-based. I, I, I suspect it's going to get even more focused in education in the next two to five years. Uh, it's where my passion is, is in education, because I think I'm not entirely convinced that we're in a particularly positive place for photography education right now. And arrogantly, I've decided I'm going to do something about that. Um, So I have made portfolios of images, and I have grouped uh, images on my personal website, alistairbend.com, that are thematic uh, and would be considered projects uh, or thematic uh, bodies of work. And I certainly agree that a single image, once that single image is grouped with other images, uh, allows a greater depth of understanding uh, into either the subject or the artist.
0: Yeah. And I say this, especially in landscape, because I think in other genres of photography, the subject can say a lot more. Um, portraiture, obviously. Um, any, anything with people in, in fact, has lots and lots of connections and implications.
1: I, th- I think it's basically why landscape photography is not considered fine art, mm. um, because there's no, there's no inherent human values. in yeah. it. There's no inherent metaphor. Um, you take a couple of photos of, or a photograph of a couple of penguins and a chick and... You know, hormones are flowing through everyone that watches the thing uh, be- because it's such a, a protective, nurturing, um, meaningful uh, relationship.
0: We see this in when I help judge the Wildlife Photographer of the Year. Absolutely. With, and that has mixed wildlife and landscape sections. Yeah. And the judges, nearly all of them are all wildlife photographers themselves. And when it comes to the landscape sections, I won't say they don't know how to read landscape pictures, but they struggle, Yeah, I think, because they're used to a subject.
1: Well, and, and this is why for me, I mean, la- landscape photography became challenging for me when I realised that the, the level of articulation that we have is so limited. Uh, I, I used to believe, I, I became a bit of a control freak probably about eight years ago, um, where I was so committed to trying to control... The viewing experience. So I wanted to control the mood. I wanted to control the, the the kind of the way it was going to be read. The the path through the image. You know, leading people from A to B to C to D to E, etc. You know, this area was going to achieve this, and that area was going to achieve that. And you know, I was spending you know, ten hours on a photograph. You know, to to fine tune these things to to a degree, and. It became very evident that that wasn't the case, that you had very little control. I had a guy in a workshop who was showing me a bunch of images on his iPad. A project that he'd taken with a handmade lens, he'd made it himself, wow. um, in a graveyard in somewhere like Charleston or whatever. And it was shadows of tombstones in a graveyard and the trees in the tombstones. And he was narrating the images as he was showing them on, the, on his iPad. And I said, well, I hope you just realise that I don't get any of that. You know, I I love the work, but I just don't get it. And in fact, the thing you've just said is contradicted by that area of the frame. And he went, shit, (laughs) you're right. And what happened was that the internal uh, metaphor in his head had overridden his actual um, innate relationship with the aesthetic. Yeah. So... The, the, the metaphor had become so powerful in his head that he was blind to things that were actually contradicting it. And I found that really intriguing. And that led me to believe that the, if we call it the lightroom vocabulary, is very limited. You know, we've got a very, very limited vocabulary. And most of it's an emotional vocabulary and an impact vocabulary. Yeah. Um, but the number of words we have is, is somewhat limited you know, you might be able to say, I want a biscuit in various volumes. Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) either quietly and subtly with some nuance or quite loud, (laughs) depending on how much clarity and saturation you use. But yeah, a very limited vocabulary. So I think going back to your original question, a single photograph um, in isolation can be incredible. Um, A body of work is... A distillation of, of uh, either a message. I, I like it. I, I, I really admire people who do project-driven work. Um, there's a few people who are, who are really, really heavily focused on that and I really admire it because I think it takes a level of dedication and commitment to a theme um, and it, it requires sticking with a mindset for a prolonged period of time, which is something I don't do very much. Um, because I I like to run with spontaneity yeah. a lot of the time. But I do believe, like in some of the days we had in, in Lapland um, a couple of weeks ago, that you could make a body of work easily out of an hour yeah. in a forest. Um, and, and that is a snapshot in time. It's a snapshot of the person that went into the forest and the photos that you're taking laterally when you're... You've finished your forest bathing for an hour or two, um, you would imagine they'd be different from when you first went in, where you might feel more claustrophobic or energized, and you might be going out feeling catatonic and, yeah. and sort of over soothed. So, again, I think that the implication with a project is that it's something that happens over a long time scale, yeah. uh, whereas I think it could happen over a couple of hours. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think I, I do that plenty, Yeah, because every visit to a, a forest or, or a mountain or whatever can become a little mini project.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's its own it's, it's, um, story.
1: One thing I would like to raise, because we talked about this sort of, um, the story within uh, nature photographs, you know, the the, the classic Franz Lansing eye-to-eye yeah. thing. Um is that because the landscape doesn't have an inherent metaphor, looking at content within a frame, particularly chaotic, um, less obvious, non-iconic, totally spontaneous um, engagements with the landscape, is it's all about internalisation. There's nothing external about it. You're not responding to the content you're you're allowing your innate sorry I'm, I'm straining as I try to drag a main coon back onto my lap um, it they ask more questions of the viewer yeah now i I'm at a complete disadvantage in this conversation because I'm looking over your shoulder at this hand strand print and i'm it's, it's impossible for me not to engage with the thing, but it's asking questions all the time. And because the subject is so abstract, and there's no, human, there's no humanity in it, other than what we put into it. Yeah. So anything that we recognise in it is basically a recognition of ourselves. So it's, a, it's almost like a personification yeah. of our psyche.
0: This is sometimes why the abstract photography is, can be more engaging, isn't it? Because it allows more space to, to think and try and interpret and see what's going on. And also this like this asking puzzles.
1: Landscape photography can deliver so much to us. And we focus on one or two facets of it. Neither of which I think are particularly helpful.
0: <laughs> well, thank you very much for the conversation. You're welcome. And I'm um, sure hopefully when you've moved here we'll have a few more and maybe maybe have some chats out on the hill.
1: I, I just can't wait. I, I can't wait to move back and I can't wait to hang out and I can't wait to go rock climbing and I can't wait for you to make me a cup of coffee.
0: I'll do that now. <laughs> Thanks very
1: much. Cheers, Tim.